Hey, guys, I am excited in so many different ways to have our guest on tonight. I'm lucky to be uh, joined by Cryptmaster Chucky, as some know him, Charles F. Rosnay. He has a new book out. It's the book of top 10 horror, and it's 100 celebrities that have given their top 10 horror list. And I, I haven't had a chance to, to lay an eye on the actual book other than the cover to see who's in this. But first of all, Charles, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I know we have a lot of mutual interests between the paranormal and horror and music. And uh, I'm looking, I've been looking forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you for having me on. So let's talk about the book. First of all, tell me how the idea came about to compile a list uh, and I'm a list freak, too. You don't know that about me. I, I love all these top 10 lists. I think people in general like lists. It don't matter what it could be. It could be yeah. a list of top 10 things you don't want to put in your mouth and people will read it. So <laughs> now you got a, a list. You've reached out to a bunch of celebrities. You obviously are well connected due to, to some of the stuff that you do. And we'll get into that later. But tell me how you came up with the plan to say, hey, I'm going to get all these different celebrities of all different walks of life and get their top 10 horror list. How did that come, come about? So let's go back to around 2008. Uh, I was running a haunted house called Fright Haven in Connecticut. I wanted to immerse myself more in the horror field. I'd already been doing the Dracula tours to Transylvania for fans who want to, you know, uh, experience the ultimate vampire vacation. Uh, we go to uh, Romania. I bring people to all the places that, well, we kind of walk in the footstep of Jonathan Harker from the novel, and we do everything that's regarding Dracula and the legends and the fiction, but also the fact and the history of Vlad. And we and we mesh the entertainment with the education, and it's the ultimate trip. So I was doing that, doing The Haunted House, and I, I got to get more horror, horror, horror. And I started doing an online newsletter called National horror happenings. And this was just, you know, a blurb every day, throw it out there, uh, new horror movie coming out, a paranormal investigation here, a review of this, whatever it was, I would put it out. And somehow I got a top 10 list from Kevin uh, Clement, who at the time was, uh, and still is, the big producer of a show called Chiller Theater. Chiller Theater is the expo. It was the first of the big horror conventions along with Fangoria and Famous Monsters and all that. And I said, hey, give me your top 10 horror list. He gave it to me and it went over really well. I got a lot of great feedback and a lot of hits on it. I thought, well, let's do this once a month. Now, we're in 2009, 2010, and I was about to produce. I'd been producing Beatles conventions, Beatles tours, Dracula tours, a whole lot of stuff in the entertainment field. And I was beginning to produce Rock Con, which was weekend of 100 rock stars. And all these guys who were coming to the event were not only, you know, becoming friends of mine, some of them I knew from, known from the past, but I was hitting them up for top 10 horrorless. I said, hey, I do this column. You're coming to the show. I can plug the show. Give me your top 10 horror list. Jane Weedland from the, from the Go-Go's, uh, Greg Hawks from the Cars, you know, a lot of cool people. And uh, Tommy James, we had, you know, one, one of my favorite people. They all gave me lists, and I put them on this online newsletter. It went out to, I don't know, thousands of people, but, I, you know, I don't know if it was read by 
uh, 5,000 one day or 100,000, you had no way to tell. And let's fast forward to the pandemic. Home, I'm not doing all the things I normally do. I'm a DJ by trade. I'm not doing weddings. I'm not doing school dances. I'm not doing any of that. I do the tours to, to Liverpool, to Transom. I'm not doing that. I book bands. Not everything that I do, Jerry, I ain't doing. <laughs> yeah. So what am I doing? I'm watching horror movies with the kids. I'm playing a ton of pinball. Love pinball. I'm um, putting them to sleep at midnight or whatever. They can stay up whatever they want. And then after the witching hour, I'm going online and I'm finding these amazing top 10 lists from the craziest people I got them from. And these were all people, you know, who are the heroes of mine, friends of mine, pop culture icons. And I said, wow, I have enough here. I have 80. I can put together a book of this. And now, mind you, I said I was never going to do a book. People always said, when are you going to do a Beatles book? When are you going to do a memoir of your, you know, your DJ adventures, your anything? I said, I'm not. And why? And I'm rambling and I hope you don't mind. Um, I said, I'm not going to do a book because I published a Beatles magazine called Good Day Sunshine. And it was read by thousands and it came out every other month for almost 20 years. And I felt that after those every other month, I had that magazine in my hand and it was a joy. But I felt like I was putting out a book six times a year because it was 80 pages. And I said, no, I'm never going to put myself through that. But during COVID, I thought, you know, wow, I've got the time. I've got these lists. Let me edit them. Let me give every uh, celebrity who gave me their list a nice intro. If they had something to do with the horror field and I can find a connection, I'll tie it in. Let me uh, find some great graphics to accompany their lists, whether it's uh, a still or a poster or a one sheet from whatever movie one of the 10 movies they picked, if they picked a movie and everyone didn't pick movies. We'll get to that. There's a lot of different themes. And I uh, was about 80, 90, whatever lists. I was a few short. I got on the horn. I called, I texted, I emailed, I messaged, and I got lists like right away and whole group to the point where I had over a hundred. And I said, I'll have to save them for the next. When I hit that (laughs) hundred, when I hit the hundred, it was just like uh, in my mind, I had done RockCon was weekend of 100 rock stars. Here I've got 100 celebrities. I am going to put this book together. And while I was doing that, I was contacting publishers. And the one that showed the most interest was uh, Bear Manor Media, who had put out a bunch of uh, Beatle books, monkeys books, pop culture books. They got it. They knew what it was. They loved it. And they said, yeah, let's go with it. And we went back and forth with edits and with cover designs and all that. And finally, it came out a year later and it came out just in time for me to be able to promote it for Halloween and go to horror conventions and be able to talk to people like you about it. So it took a year to actually publish, but it's probably 12 or 15 years in the making without me knowing that I was eventually going to do a book. (sighs) So when you approached whoever, whatever people you approached, what criteria did you give them to compile the list? Because you said some of them are movies and some of them are other things. So what did you just basically give them free reign to put a top 10 of whatever they wanted, as long as it was horror related? I did. I did. Because in National Horror Happenings, it wasn't didn't have to be top 10 horror films, but that's the just most of them did. Most of them did because 
I guess it's the easiest thing to do. Um, you really have to start thinking out of the box. You know, authors, some of them gave me their top 10 favorite um, horror, scary books. Others did their top 10 favorite uh, scariest, um, sexiest scenes in a movie, in a horror movie. Others did their Vince Martell, the lead guitarist of Vanilla Fudge, gave me his uh, horror and comedy mashups. Uh, Abbott and Stelmi, Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein, all the horror movies he loved most that had comedic elements. So people did definitely think out of the box. But what I did early on is um, I sent out a template Eddie Deason, who, you know, pop culture people know as Eugene from Greece. Uh, he was in 1941. Mm -hmm. he, Ringo Klaus and I Want to Hold Your Hand, a voice in SpongeBob, Polar Express, great guy, great friend, gave me one of the earlier lists. And I said it was all films. So I sent that out as a template when someone said, can you send me a sample? Well, I guess because I did that, a lot of people came back with top 10 horror films because that was what they were going by. Um, many of them gave me just a few words, you know, here's what I think. Some really got into depth and really gave it a lot of thought. Um, you would never guess John Lennon's sister, Julia Baird lives in Liverpool, dear friend of mine, still, uh, still with us. Thank God. Uh, and very sharp says, Charles, I want to help you with your book. I want to contribute to it. I want to be in it. I don't like horror movies. I go, I, I don't, I trust you. You come up with something. A week later, she says, how will this do? And she sends me her horror list of the themes in Shakespeare's works. And Jerry, this is like a, a college thesis. She came through, it's the largest chapter in the book, you know, the horror elements of Shakespeare. And I'm like, wow. You know, that was one of the great ones. And so- That's thinking know, outside the box there. That is thinking outside the box and coming up with an amazing list. The other person who wasn't into the other two people who weren't really big into horror who come to mind, who contributed. One was John Sebastian, uh, Love and Spoonful, you know, Woodstock mm -hmm. played John Sebastian, who I think has been on Abbey, Abbey Road on the River, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, he gave me a cool list of only a few, but they were really great paragraphs on why the experiences with those particular movies scared him. So that was a great, a great list and a great contributor. And the other one, believe it or not, Sarah Karloff, Boris Karloff's daughter said, Charles, I hate horror movies. You can look at this up. Uh, it's famous. I'm not a monster movie guy. Yeah. I watch my dad's films, but I couldn't even name 10 horror movies besides, you know, what my dad did. And I said, wow, how's about, and before I finish my sentence, she goes, I guess I could write a list on the 10 things that scared me the most. Okay. Anything to have a Karloff in the book. Right. And, 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 Jerry, you're going to love this. Number 10 in her list was having to write this list. <laughs> that was one, of, one of the things that scared her. So, you know, you're getting a cross section of horror people, rock and roll people, uh, athletes, authors, you know, everyone who's a pop culture icon who's in it. And, you know, if you're of a certain age and if you're and if you're a baby boomer or if you're, uh, you know, if you're astute into these people, you're going to love reading from Ed Asner 
or Ruth Buzzy, you know, people who we grew up with, Rona Mars laughing, Ruth Buzzy, you know. And if you're, you know, 18 years old and you're picking up the book, these people might not be of, you know, of, of, of common knowledge to you. But you're going to love reading their lists and maybe go and check out who they were and who, how they affected people who watched TV of a certain age. You know, some of the people who, are no, who gave a great list are no longer with us. Some of them has pa have passed on. So this in, in its own way, it's a tribute to some of the people who gave me amazing lists and are no longer with us. And uh, other lists, what I found of people are calling and saying, hey, Charles, I never heard of that movie before. And I saw it in someone's list, you know, hey, they had they had Omen, The Shining, blah, 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 blah. And then they had this creature from and they never heard of this movie and they checked it out and loved it. So here I am, you know, contributing to people's horror library of stuff they had never heard before. And now they're discovering it. So it's serving a lot of purposes, this book. Charles, did you contribute a list to the book? So for William Shatner who I thought was like, wow, he's an anchor in this book. Getting him was a real honor. He contributed a list and I contributed a list of what I thought were his best genre films, you know, Twilight Zone, all the things he's been in of a horror element. And in the back of the book, I do a top 10 list of my favorite films that I've been in because I've done a lot of horror films. I've done shorts. I've done, you know, uh, uh, horror bits and, and I've made cameos. So in the book, you know, you've got me here uh, in one scene, in one horror movie called zombie Chronicles where I'm shot in the head. <laughs> another one, another one is uh, where, where there's bullet holes in my neck. I don't know why they cast me and kill me. They do that a lot. <laughs> they do that. I'm in a new movie called, um, the night night at the Eagle Inn, which is just doing some screenings, and I I, I don't play I don't get killed in it, but I've already already been killed. <laughs> I'm a specter in a TV, and I'm talking to the heroine, and I'm telling her that she's trapped. She'll be in this hotel forever, and I'm dressed in a uh, I'm, I'm cross dressed in it. It just you know very very different. And then I have a horror persona, you know, uh, Cryptmaster Chucky. And when I do a lot of hosting, there's there's one of the faces I do and one of the people I am. So my list is more of, you know, my personal horror bits. Um, and I think in the next book, if I do a sequel and I plan on it, Bride of the Book of Top 10 Horror Lists, I'll give my favorite top 10 list, but I didn't want it to skew any others. I, I kept it out of this one intentionally. Do you have anybody in the book whose list was your favorite or, or they are there too many to mention? Oh, that's so tough. See, because so many, I just love the people, you know, I love the Ron Dante's of the world, you know, the lead singer of the Archies and, you know, Eddie Deason, who we mentioned earlier, Karen Black, who's no longer with us. Trilogy of Terror, Karen Black gave such a great list. Uh, these pop to mind because I use them to show other people lists when I was trying to get lists. Elliot Easton from The Cars, Greg Hawks. I mean, they gave me such great lists. I don't think there's a, a, a you know a list. If you ask me the other thing, are there any lists that, you know, you can't because if they've got Psycho and they have The Exorcist and they have Frankenstein, it's already a great list. What I didn't get on some of the lists was commentary. 
you know, there were a few people I thought were up there that I wanted in the book enough, like Pete Best, the original drummer of the Beatles, and uh, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. I wanted them in the list, the book so badly that even though they didn't give me the comments of the list and it was only their top 10 titles themselves, I went with it. So if I had to pick least favorites, I guess I would have to go with that because I love when they give reasons why. Um, but right. as, far, as far as favorites, you know, those few came to mind. But if I pick up the book and, and go through it, oh, my God, you know, Irwin Keyes, the actor, Joe Joe Rockhead from the Flintstones, uh, Joe Dante, who, you know, d- directed, produced uh, uh, Gremlins. All their lists were amazing. Sybil Danning, you know, who uh, was in the the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween and has been in ton of things. If I go through it, every single one is like wow. And then it's your some of the people who I never, you know, would have thought wow. Should I ask them? Should I not ask them? They just came through for me. Very few people didn't. You know, uh, Peter Torka, who was a good friend of mine from the Monkees, wanted mm-hmm. to and wrote the most beautiful letter apologizing profusely. And he just said, I, I couldn't even name that many horror films I've never seen. So uh, Mickey Dolan's gave us one. So that, you know, balanced it out. We got a monkey, we got a beetle, we got a monster, we got a, 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 <laughs> a baseball hall of famer, five rock and roll hall of famers, you know, so we did good. We got a lot of scream Queens. Uh, and, and in the next one, if we do another one, I'm going to let us branch out and, and, and invite p- paranormal people uh, to be part of it as well. Cause I don't really have, I don't have one paranormal guy in there. And uh, Richard Felix, who's a dear friend of mine from the BBC who used to host uh, one of the presenters of most haunted uh, gave me a list for the next one. And I, I produced recently Connecticut's first paranormal, convention paracon with two ends um and uh just met a bunch of great people who uh who i'm going to invite to contribute to the next book awesome so i want to talk to you about some music stuff but before we get off track i want to uh tell tell everybody how they can get the book and where they can get it from before we get off track and Uh, i forget appreciate that yeah so of course amazon is the easiest way but the best way is to go to my website because if you order it through me i can sign it i can personalize it to everyone and uh you know obviously you know the autograph's worth as much as the book is but it's the idea is you if you're getting a book from someone if you can get it signed and personalized it makes it that much special the website is www.bookoftop10 the number 10 horrorlists.com and uh, it's 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 right on this promo card here if it's not in reverse i don't know book of top yeah. 10 horror, horrorlists.com and um if you go there there's a an email there's a link there's a phone number and uh we can send that copy out like the next day and we're going to post that on our uh, all of our websites and and uh our facebook pages social media all that so it'll be there with by the time you hear this it'll be up you'll be able to find it pretty easy Cool, cool. All right. So I'm going to start with this, and you probably aren't even going to think I'm going to start with this. Did I read, since you brought up Mickey Dolan's and Peter Tork, that you used to play Davy Jones in, an, in a monkey's impersonation band? Did I read that correctly? You read it correctly. I'll tell you the whole uh, histrionics behind it is I produced Beatle conventions since 1978. Um, and, uh, in the eighties when the, when it was not 
cool or popular to love the monkeys. I was, I was never an apologist. I love the monkeys. The Beatles are up here. The monkeys there and everyone else, you know, tons of the ones are here. (laughs) Huge monkey fan here. Love the monkeys. Oh, great. I love hearing that. So we had a convention and we didn't have a band. And I'd been managing a punk band at the time and a few friends. And we got together and I said, come on, let's do a monkeys band. And they go, sure. Who's going to sing? And I'll sing. Now, mind you, I'm a DJ. I'm out there, you know, making a fool of myself at parties anyway. So I don't mind being out there with a mic. Am I a great singer? No. Can I play an instrument? No. Well, the monkeys did, though. But I took the tambourine and I took the maracas and I put on the red shirt and let's dance on. Oh, baby, come on. And I was able to put on a great show with a, a lot of great musicians surrounding me. And in the early eighties, we had um, the Na- national monkeys convention. Peter came to it. And in those days, no Beatles came, you know, there's no Pete best, no Beatle people coming to mm-hmm. Beatle conventions yet. No monkeys ever came to a monkey convention, no stars, you know, now there's walking dead conventions built around the stars coming to the show and making a fortune and signing. But in those days, you know, you got uh, maybe Alan Williams, who was the Beatles' first manager. Mm-hmm. You got Sid Bernstein, who brought, you got great guests, but you never got a Beatle. You never got a monkey. And Peter Tor came to that event, actually jammed with Monkey Mania. So uh, <laughs> him and I became very good friends. In 1987, I produced the National Monkey Convention in New Jersey that had Mickey, Peter, Davey, and Boyce and Hart, the guys who wrote the songs. So always loved the monkeys, stayed good friends with, Peter until he passed and Davey until he passed, got the opportunity to interview Mickey many times, only met um, Mike Nesmith once, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, getting Mickey in the book was very special and they're touring now in their final tour. And that's great. If anyone's uh, able to see them go support the guys. Um, and, and what you probably didn't read. Yes. I was Davey and monkey mania, but I'm on the air now hosting what's called the monkeys interview show on monkey mania radio, believe it or not, it's on three. <laughs> it's uh, so this all, you know, this is crazy. I do too many things, Jerry. Um, and it's on weekends and I'm interviewing people like Mickey and David Cassidy from my archives and Peter Tor, but also people who've played with them, people who've toured with them, super fans, super collectors. And I'm on, uh, I think, uh, noon or 10 a.m. Uh, Saturdays and Sundays, and then it's repeated. So if anyone gets the live365.com app, punches in monkeys, you can hear it's like Beatles on Sirius. It's the monkeys on uh, Monkey Mania Radio, and you get to hear this voice interviewing people on weekends. <laughs> I never got to see the monkeys uh, perform, but they, when they did their tour, the uh, uh, that was then tour, or uh, I didn't get to see that. I did get to see Mickey Dolan's uh, perform right after Davey passed away. And he did a couple of songs of tribute. I mean, it literally was in four or five months uh, after Davey passed away at a, a state fair up here in Kentucky. And he was part of the, the turtles happy together tour. Yes. And, uh, and we go to that every year. I just went and saw that uh, uh, two yeah. months ago. So I love, love that. Yeah. Well, I mentioned Ron Dante and our friend is now the, he's taken over Howard's part in the in the turtles and it's mark 
of Omen up front with Ron Dante doing all the leads. But yeah, that's a great lineup with the cow sills. And my, my dear friend, Gary Puckett, who's also in the book with a great top 10 list, sounds as good as ever, looks as good as ever. He does. Thank goodness for those uh, Happy Together tours. They they put out some great shows. Yeah, actually, it was my first time this year seeing the cow sills. And uh, who else was there? Man, there were just so many people just, uh, just loved it. But The Buckinghams and the Vogues. Yeah, the folks were there this time. I did see them, and uh, but yeah, it's fantastic. We won't oh, dwell no, on not, that too much. Not, not, not the Buckingham's, the association, right? The association was there, and I'm trying to think of the other one, the one that sang Spooky. Um, a Classics Four. Classics Four. They were there. Yeah. So right. yeah, it was it was a fun night. All right, so let's move on to my favorite topic of all. I I was thrilled beyond belief to see pictures of you with Paul McCartney. Ringo Starr, uh, and I, I didn't see one with George, but I know you met George before. I think you said it in an airport or something. But yes, t- tell me a little bit about your collaborations with Paul McCartney. What so this, uh, I know. You- so we're not talking about the Fab Four who are behind you, Freddie and uh, Mike Myers and Jason. We're not talking about that Fab Four. No, the other Fab Four that's behind me on the other side. Right above Linda Blair. <laughs> I see it right there, right <laughs> above Linda, John Paul, George Ringo. Uh, Jerry, I, you know, I always say my first memory in life, and I, I've, I've since amended it. I have two first memories in life. And if you read my book, it tells the story of how I became, you know, a monster kid. But seeing um, Bride of Frankenstein with my mom and watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Uh, changed my life. You know, girls wanted to marry them or sleep with them. I wanted to grow up to be a Beatle, but I don't think there was such a class or a job like that. So I did the next best thing. What I do, I started producing Beatle conventions in 78, published the magazine Good Day Sunshine from 1981 on, uh, the Beatle tours to Liverpool from 83 on. Yes, thank God I did all that. Got to meet Paul a bunch of times, George Harrison in the airport in Tokyo, because we brought a group of fans to his concerts there. We saw three of his shows there. Ringo at press conferences. I think there's a clip of me asking him a question on the Phil Donahue show. Um, my favorite Ringo story is the, is the time I could have met him and didn't. Um, I had produced a, a Beatle Con in Detroit uh, and my special guest was Pete Best. We did it two years. One year we had Mike McCartney, Paul's brother, and one year we had uh, Pete Best. And I was wearing a Pete Best shirt. And I was at the airport. And Ringo was doing a concert that weekend. And he was at the airport with David Fishoff, his manager. And I go around the corner. And he goes around the corner. And we're like this. And I'm ready to say hello. And I did a uh, uh, turn away because I realize I'm wearing that Pete Best shirt <laughs> and I don't want him to hate me and I don't want to start a trouble. <laughs> and the time I could have hung out with him at the airport and really done some quality time, had a pass on it. <laughs> Ringo probably would have had fun with it, uh, just seeing some of the videos and stuff. You know, I, I just saw for his 80th or 81st birthday, man, he looks good for. Well, I think it was his 80th birthday, but man, he looks good for 80 years old. He, he looks, he looks like for years. Wow. I don't know if he had work done, but he let his hair grow out, darken his, be- he looks great. God bless him. And he's still got energy, still putting out music. 
you know, as is Paul. If you go to the Facebook and you look up Charles Rosene, there's a little graphic of uh, one of the times I met Paul and we're there and we're doing the thumbs up and we kind of, you know, look look like to think we look similar. But that was a really special time. And it was at a London restaurant where I had dinner with him, thanks to my friend Stacy. And um, at the time I had been publishing Good Day Sunshine for 10 years. And uh, it was a Beatles magazine that Linda knew about because I would send copies to all the all the Beatles. And years later, Ringo did an auction of his memorabilia and his collectibles. And one of his lots was my issues of Good Day Sunshine, which he auctioned off for charity. But Linda would always say, oh, yeah, Charles from Connecticut. I'm Scarsdale. She would always remember that I was from Connecticut and she would always uh, thank us. Thank me for sending her copies of. Good day, sunshine. She was very special. But I had McCartney and I said, you know what? I'm never going to have this opportunity again. I took out like 10 things to sign. And I said, this is for each of my editors who were writing for me for so many years, great articles in my magazine. And that was the way I paid them off. And a few of them had written books. So he signed their books and it got to number 10. And I'm thinking, wow, I didn't get one for myself. And I, I waited and I, instead I said, Hey, Paul, I'm going to be doing um, a cassette issue of good day, sunshine for my 10th anniversary. Would you just give a message to the fan members? And he, First, he did sign a copy of Good Day Sunshine, which I have. And then he gave a message. All the band members gave a message. And it was really special because a predecessor to Good Day Sunshine was a magazine called Strawberry Fields Forever. And Joe Pope, who's no longer with us, used to do a yearly flexi disc. Remember the flexis? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you would get on the back of a, a cereal box. And so... I was the next generation and we didn't have CDs yet. So I did cassettes once a year and, and it was an audio version of the magazine. And so in the 10th anniversary, I'm blessed to have people like Richie Havens, who was still alive, Tony Sheridan, who was still alive, Lawrence, do all these great people contribute messages to, um, you know, to our 10th anniversary, including Paul, who sent out, you know, message to all the fan club members. So I'm very, very fortunate to have met all the guys, except John Lennon. But uh, but to be able to consider, you know, some of the monkeys, my friend and Pete Best, who I actually managed for a few years and took him to a lot of uh, 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 personal appearances in the United States. I'm lucky, you know, I've been able to turn my hobbies into, you know, a, a lifelong uh, obsession, maybe, but 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 only happiness. You know, uh, everything I do brings me joy, but fortunately, it also brings joy to tons of people, whether it's the book or DJing or bringing them on tours or doing conventions or, you know, uh, making sure it's all about ma having fun and making sure other people have fun and very blessed that way. And I want to point out for people listening that aren't diehard Beatle fans uh, that may not know who Pete Best is. He was the original drummer for the Beatles before, right before they really hit it big, right around the please, please me time uh, recordings is they decided to get rid of Pete because the band wasn't real thrilled with him from my understanding. And uh, they went with Ringo, who they knew from a, another local band called Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And uh they they ended up going with Ringo and then there you go over the rest is kind of history. But uh, I know Pete Best. I watched a, a YouTube video. I think it's called Best of the Beatles or something similar to that that he did 
it's about 45 minutes long, but it's a lot of the stuff from his perspective, a lot of interviews uh, with him on, uh, you know, his time with the Beatles. It was really enjoyable. I did, like I said, it's probably like within the last two months that I saw that. So yeah, I really enjoyed you know, that. You can only speculate. And and to this day, you know, he never came, Paul never contacted Ringo. They never really, um, there's never closure on the dismissal and they didn't do it themselves. They had Brian Epstein actually do it. And it's, it's kind of, it's a sad thing because for the, for the longest time he was the world's, People said the unluckiest man that ever lived right before the biggest group of all time, he was dismissed. Well, is he the unluckiest? I mean, he's got a beautiful family. He's got grandchildren. He, uh, when the anthology came out, you know, his stuff was eventually released and he made four or five million pounds on that. Um, his home in Liverpool has been turned into a, a, a museum. Um, you know, you know, John's not with us. George isn't with us. You know, how, how do you weigh that? So for the longest time, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone felt bad for Pete Best, but it, it, he's, he's also got, you know, a lot of fortunes that outweigh that horrible misery. If you ever read the book, Beetle, the Pete Best story, you know, he admits that he came close to, you know, ending it. He, it, it, it was that devastating to him. But, you know, he was stronger than that. He left music for the longest time. And then he realized that, you know, fans embraced him and realized that he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He wasn't a sourpuss, you know, and he wasn't sour grapes, although he probably had it early on. And when he finally, you know, came to reconcile uh, living as that guy who was, you know, dismissed, uh, thrown out, whatever, fired, um, He's, he's, he's made a, a, a good career on his own, going out and playing and doing conventions and writing books and all the things that he's done. I think the, the average fan, even the average Beatles fan, let alone the people who just casually know who the Beatles are, they would be surprised to know that when Pete was in the band, he was the most popular Beatle. Uh, so much so that at one point in time, the drum kit was actually moved to the front of the stage and the rest of the band behind the drum kit, because that's how popular he was. His drumming was like remarkable. He was the best drummer anywhere in England or when they went to Hamburg. So it was, uh, you know, it does sound like there was some jealousy amongst the rest of the band because he was, it was getting, it was starting to be called Pete best in the Beatles. And it was, like I said, the drum kit up front. So yeah, I could understand why once he was kind of, you know, out of the picture, why he would feel like that, you know, if, if, in the early days. But like you said, it really changed when Anthology came out because he wasn't making the money off the off the stuff. Once Anthology came out, that's when he started making his money. But hell, that was, you know, when are we looking at? Are we looking at the uh, mid 90s? Years, right. So many years later. Um, you know what? It, I, Possibly Paul, you know, lost out some tail, you know, uh, to, to, <laughs> you know, and that probably bothered him. Um, he was an atomic drummer. He may not have developed the way Ringo did. You know, the world got it right. You know, the stars aligned with John, Paul, George and Ringo. And maybe it was just not meant to be John, Paul, George and, and Pete. And 
Ringo had a different personality. You know, America embraced Ringo when, you know, when the invasion hit, Ringo was the popular. He was the one that everyone knew. The mothers loved Ringo. You know, everyone knew that he was the one with the big nose and the comical one. And, you know, he had a very distinct personality. So for whatever reasons, Pete was, uh, you know, not part of that final, final Fab Four. Uh, I think they would have been just as great with him, but who knows? And, uh, you know, to this day, George Martin was a, didn't like his drumming, perhaps. There's a lot of things that have been given as theories as to why, but it's probably all of them combined. And then you, you, you take the fact that Ringo was so, so special and such a, you know, he meshed with them. You know, it's very possible that Pete was a little more serious. But having said that, they wouldn't have gotten to the point that they did without Pete because of Hamburg and because Pete's mom, Mona, who was a gem of a person. I, I loved her dearly. She was a good friend. Uh, if it wasn't for Mona, she managed them. She got them. She pushed them. She had them, you know, practice in the basement. They played in the Casbah, which was her, you know, uh, Coca-Cola coffee club before they ever were mm-hmm. played at the Cavern, you know? So they were getting their chops, you know, they were getting their act together long before the world knew them uh, at the Casbah with Pete Best. But anyway, thank you. I guess I take it for granted that people, you know, who listen to these podcasts and listen to shows know the pop culture people. So when I say Pete Best, I just assume that everyone knows it. But you're right. If someone's a horror guy or a supernatural (laughs) paranormal guy and they're listening to us talk about rock and roll, too, they may not know Pete Best. So thank you for letting us clarify it and talk and give him the tribute he deserves. Let's uh, let's end on this, Charles. Tell everybody about the tour you do over in Liverpool. So in 1983, I went over there and I went with a bunch of friends. We went a small group and Liverpool was very different. It was gray. It was dingy. It was how you picture, you know, some of your own local towns that you don't want to set foot in. We went down Matthew Street where the Cavern Club used to be. It was all boarded up, all scaffolding. I remember putting my ear to the ground and trying to imagine what the sounds were coming from that basement club. And it was kind of sad, you know, because yeah, there was a somewhat of a Beatles fan club there, but Liverpool, and I love the people, the people were salty. The people had stories to tell, you know, they were like Louisville people that, you know, you knew that people there <clears throat> lived their lives, lived their lives to the fullest and were ready to tell any stranger about it anyway. They were like, you know, I guess they were the closest to British hillbillies we can do. How's that for a tie-in? <laughs> anyway, uh, but the Liverpool resented the Beatles. A lot of the older people said, you know, we made the Beatles. The Beatles didn't make Liverpool. They left us. They're done. They abandoned us. They went to London. They went to the whole world. We're still here. So there was a lot of hard feelings in Liverpool when I first went there. Now, slowly but surely, they realized the potential of tourism. There was a few very, very astute guys who rebuilt the cavern. Their names Cavern City Tours. Uh, Bill, Ron, and Dave, beautiful, dear, my brothers in Liverpool. And they got it. And they started doing big Beatle conventions and the Beatle events and concerts. And they began what has become 
an amazing industry and regrowth. If you go to Liverpool now, you're going to a cosmopolitan, you're going to New York, Paris, London, you're going to on a major city. And every around every corner, there's a Beatles theme. It's a bar or it's a club or it's a museum or it's a art gallery and everything surrounds the Beatles. Now you go to Memphis, uh, there's Graceland, right? The whole Mm -hmm. city isn't Beatles, uh, isn't Elvis until Elvis week. Well, if you go to Liverpool in August during Beatle Week, you cannot take two steps without hearing a Beatle song. You can't take two steps without seeing a cool shirt like you're wearing. It's Beatles 24 hours. So I've been bringing fans to Liverpool. We go to London first. So that's like the that's like the hors d'oeuvres. That's like the pre-dinner. Then we'll stop in Henley, which was George Harrison's home. And you get a taste of a quaint British village. And that's, you know, the, the, that's the sorbet that changes, you know, your taste from London. And then you get to Liverpool and oh my God, that's, that's the main dish. It's a whole week of daytime touring, nighttime concerts and partying. And you're doing it with people who are kindred spirit. I mean, they're loving the Beatles as much as you are. I remember we, we got to town hall and it was right off the bus and a girl just gets on her hands and knees and kisses the ground and looks at me and tears are falling from her eyes. And I got it. And, and, and people say, Charles, aren't you bored going to Liverpool? You've been there how many, 50 times? And I go, no. It's like the singer who steps on stage and does his hit for that new audience. And they love it. And they're sharing that love. That's how I feel when I'm bringing people to these tours, whether it's Dracula Tour to Transylvania ghost tour to England or, 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 or Hungary or wherever we go on the ghost tours. And we do a lot of those. We didn't touch on that or to Liverpool and and England for the Beatles tour. Um, What's the joy of me is the joy of these people going for the first time. Cause as kids, you know, I, I, I get it. We were clipping pictures of the Beatles from the newspaper and magazines, but we were also clipping. If there was news on a ship going into Liverpool we were clipping that too. Liverpool was this magical, mystical, adventurous place that we never thought in, in our lifetimes we would ever get to. We read about it in books. We saw it in postcards and we heard it in songs like Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. We actually live those books and music by going to Abbey Road and Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields and the Cavern Club and the places the Beatles grew up and and played at. It's just so amazing that, you know, even 50 times later, I've been there so many times, it still, still holds its magic, as does the Beatles. And why? Well, yeah, it's the music. Yeah, it's the personality. Uh, I say it's the three M's, Jerry. I go music, memories, because Granted, there's a nostalgia factor, but the M, that's the X factor. That third M is the magic. You can't put your fingers on it. You can't say, oh, yeah, the Beatles were the greatest because of this song or because of this. Per-. It was everything combined. It was that X, that's magic that made them above and beyond and still the greatest musical force of all time. Do you agree with me? A hundred percent. Everybody knows I agree with you on that. Cool, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> hey, so. Uh, do you have time to keep going a little bit? I don't want to pick up. Of course. I don't have another interview till way. What time is it? Oh, we're good. We're golden. Let's keep talking. I love it. We're such, you know, we never met before. And it's like, I'm talking to a brother with such shared loves. So this is great for me. 
So we're going to turn this back to the paranormal side. Yes. The gentleman came out. I can't pronounce his last name. He came out with a book called The Linen Prophecy uh, a few years back, six, seven years ago. Yeah. In the book, he proposes that John Lennon possibly sold his soul to get the Beatles to where they were. He pinpoints a time where Beatlemania started as the time. And then 20 years later, which is in 1980, John Lennon dies. He's saying that that's his that was his debt. Uh, basically, you, you, you signed your soul. You had 20 years. 20 years is up. John was putting out songs talking about basically hellhounds and along that lines. What do you think about that kind of talk? Do you think that's a possibility? Do you believe in that being a possibility? Absolutely true. No, come on, Jerry. (laughs) Dan Simmons, great horror author, uh, wrote, I think, Clarion Comfort, I think is his book. And in it, it's about how, um, and I don't remember, I read it so long ago, but if if I'm remembering correctly, it should have been a film. Hitler also sold his soul to the devil to make to, to make Germany what it was. And somehow Yoko did the same thing in order to marry John and giving up John was her comeuppance, whatever it was. I, I don't remember. It's silly. Come on. Uh, you know, it's great. It's great. Um, you know what? It's great. It's great fiction. And I have the book and I never read it, but it's on my shelf. And I say, now someday I'll get to it. There's a few of those. There's also another uh, book of a gal who supposedly talks to John regularly. And she did a book of her conversations with him. I think if People believe it. It's cool. I have no problem with that. It's like the bigger picture. If they believe in paranormal, you know, I'm one of these people because I've had so many paranormal experiences. I have to believe it. Otherwise I wouldn't. And you know, if, if there's always that possibility of everything, whether it's UFOs, whether it's John Lennon selling his soul to make that all happen. I think if John Lennon did that though, unless it was part of the contract, he would have told the world that because John told the truth. And, <laughs> That's true. And, you know, he bared himself in so many ways, physically, emotionally, mentally, on the cover of the Two Virgins album. There was nothing that Lennon ever hid. You know, he had no filter. So if he had this this deal with the devil, I think I think he would have told us about it, either in song or in prose or in a book or in interviews. So that's well, the only reason I don't think it's it's true. If you ever get a chance to read that book, he mentioned he's got several instances where he says that John did mention it in songs and he did mention it in prose and he did mention. So that's why that's why I find the book compelling. So uh, check it out. Now I'm going to have to read it. Thanks a lot. So so I guess you're assuming that that's the real Paul McCartney, too. (laughs) Am I assuming it? (laughs) I have a dear friend who does a podcast out of. Australia. His name is Plastic EP. And one of the guests he had on is Leslie Cavendish, who was one of the Beatles hairstylists. And um, Leslie apparently vows that the clip of Paul's hair pre-accident and post-accident is exactly the same. So He's proven it on that show by saying that. Uh, Oh, there you you go. The greatest, the Paul is dead theories is got to be the greatest. um, What's the word? Uh, Farce. It's it's hysterical. And the fact that so many people 
mushroomed it and found so many more clues. To this day, I, I found clues that were never even revealed uh, if you want to go that deep. And that that's a, a show worth doing at some point because it's so fun. Uh, now it's the same Paulie that was, you know, with wheels <laughs> and with wings and is still out there. And, uh, you know, I had a pleasure of meeting him a, a, about a dozen times. What a great guy. What a what beautiful soul and a sweetheart. And God, you know, one of the most important people, not of just our generations of, but of music history, you know, Lennon McCartney and Harrison Ring, they're right up there with, to me, you know, any, you name a musical uh, act of, of any, any era and they're up there with them. Charles, it's been a blast, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. Everybody go out and get the book. It's the book of top 10 horror list. You're going to absolutely love it. I've seen a couple of the lists and I haven't had a chance to peruse the whole book yet, but I've seen some of the lists. It's, it's fascinating, especially if you love lists, but the, the variety of people that are in here, are all celebrities. It's absolutely amazing. Go get it at Amazon or go to the website. Like I said, I'm going to post that. Give the website one more time, Charles. I'm going to give you a few websites just to confuse everyone. If they want to come <laughs> with me, if they want to come with me to Transylvania and go on the Dracula tour of Vampire Vacation, which we do every single Halloween week, uh, it's www.dracktours.com. If they want to come with me, which I still host the Liverpool Beatle Tours, the Magical History Tours, it's www.liverpooltours.com. And brrr, the book of top 10 horror lists website is the best place to find it. If you don't want to go to Amazon and you can go to Amazon too, is www.bookoftop10horrorlists.com. And uh, just request a signed copy and I'd be honored to do that. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. We'll definitely have you on in the future. And Jerry, uh, my favorite interview of the past hour. I love being on with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so much common. It was people don't know that we did a pre-talk before we went on. And I just I, I said, I love this guy. If this guy was local, we'd be hanging out all the time. And can we do a shout out before we go to our friend? Absolutely. Kevin? Uh, I, I ran a, a haunted house in Connecticut. It was the largest, scariest, and greatest indoor haunted attraction called Fright Haven. It was my baby until COVID when I didn't think I could continue doing it. Kevin Stitch, who owns and operates and uh, runs haunted houses all over the place, including uh, uh, haunted, is I think it's Haunted Hotel in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Uh, came through and said, I'll buy it from you. I'll make sure it keeps going. And uh, he has, and it's, and it's bigger than ever, better than ever. His haunts are the most necropolis, wherever he is, their haunts are phenomenal. And I want to do a shout out to him. Hopefully we can uh, send him a link to this and, uh, and um, I'll be uh, doing a book signing at my former haunt uh, in Connecticut on October 22nd, which is Kevin's place now, Fright Haven. So uh, if you if you follow me anywhere on, on my websites and on the Facebook, you'll see when I'm doing um, uh, book signings, which I love to do at conventions and, and horror places. So I may be coming to your town. Nice. Is that man, brother, it's, it's, it's fun, man. I can't, I, I can't believe we got these connections together. And uh, like I said, I could literally talk to you all night long. So it's fun. Thank All right, so brother. Much. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll see you again. Thank you. Bye-bye.